With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here live on... 610 ESPN Radio Philadelphia. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, joined, as always, by Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad. Uh, Bob, we're going to get right into a, a uh, breaking news kind of story surrounding the Phillies. Cesar Hernandez not in the lineup uh, for tonight's game against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it's it's tied into the fact that he didn't run out of ball yesterday uh, against the Miami Marlins. But it seems to be a little uncertainty as to you know, why he's not in the lineup or he doesn't know why. Why don't you break it down for us? <sighs> Could you hear that? That's what we would call an audible sigh. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, <laughs> I am just so, so beyond this at this point. Um, you know, it's, it's a benching. Like, why does this have to be complicated? Why does this need to be broken down? Cesar Hernandez thought he had a home run in the sixth inning of yesterday's game. He didn't. He Cadillaced at the first base. He should have been out of the game at that point. He wasn't. All right, so he finishes the game, and then this afternoon, Gabe Kapler meets with reporters and says that the benching or him being you know, out of the lineup is in response to what happened yesterday. And then they go out and they talk to Cesar about it, and a couple of reporters ask, and he says, no, I don't think it really had anything to do with that at all. You know, it was just kind of a day off. And they go back to Gabe, and Gabe says, no, it was absolutely in response, though it wasn't technically a punishment. Like, what What are we talking about here? Why does this have to be so difficult? And you know, those of you that listen to me, read the website, you know that I'm a Gabe guy, all right? I, I just don't get this. I don't understand why something that is routine is as a, a player not running out of ball, if you want to bench the guy, bench him. Why is there a miscommunication here? Why is there a breakdown in communication? Why is there this uncertainty? And I have to say, like, it's just old. You know, it's just on the heels of what happened this past weekend, with that as the backdrop, to, to see this this little circus act take place this afternoon, it just, it's just baffling, man. It, it only shows me that the whole operation surrounding the Philadelphia Phillies is a, is as Mickey Mouse as it comes, Bob, because this should not happen. This is a public relations nightmare that doesn't have to be a public relations nightmare. This is a simple, like you said, a simple thing. If you want to bench the guy, you say, yep, he's not in the lineup because he didn't run yesterday. Hopefully this will be a lesson learned and we move on the, we move on to tomorrow. But that wasn't what was said because I think Gabe is still trying to make pretend like, all right, I'm the player's guy. I don't want to give them their freedom and let them be themselves. And so I'm not going to – I'm trying – I'm going to try and word it. He's a very he's a very good talker, as you know. He's very wordy, and he's trying to word it in such a way so that, yeah, it's it's related to yesterday, but don't call it a benching, you know, because then he'll get upset about it if we call it a benching. Okay, fine. But that doesn't mean that you can't come out and say it the right way. And again, we're, we've had this conversation two weeks ago on this very program here at ESPN Radio 610, where we said, why, are we, why do we care about what Gabe Kapler says to the media? 
And 90% of the time, you're right. It doesn't matter what Gabe Kapler says to the media. But today, it matters because it makes the organization look bad. That's why it mattered today. My sense of this is that Gabe Kapler communicated to Cesar Hernandez why he wasn't in the lineup. Now, I don't know if something was was lost in translation here. I don't know if the question from the from the media wasn't interpreted properly. I, I don't know what it is, but for for all parties not to be on the same page here this afternoon is a bad look. It just I don't want to point the finger and say it's it's expressly the fault of Gabe Kapler or the fault of Cesar Hernandez or the interpreter. I but what <laughs> I mean, come on, man. The next thing you know, the interpreter is going to get fired. Yeah. Charlie Manuel is going to be the new interpreter for Cesar. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's it's strange. And I mean, and, and honestly, I wanted to have a conversation about the benching itself because this aside, I think it's pretty interesting that we are now seeing Cesar Hernandez out of the lineup tonight all year. Yeah. You know, the Phillies response to these types of situations for the most part has been Hey, you know what? We had the conversation. We talked about it. These are our expectations moving forward. We don't assume that this is going to be a problem. And this is really one of the first times, and it may have happened with Michael Franco earlier in the year where he was. Segura actually had a seat for two games, but okay. they said it was. In, there was like a hamstring it was thing the, going on at that point. Well, yeah, the, the heel. heel right. The heel yeah, was the heel. heel. It was the heel injury. Yeah, so it was so kind of sort of both, right? right. Like, yeah, yeah, it was, was like, vague. Yeah. Yeah. So, but this is like really the first time all season now. Here we are in late August where this has popped up on a couple different occasions. This is the first time where we can emphatically say like this is a this is a measure being taken as a corrective action to, in response to what we saw yesterday. Do, doesn't it have to be at this point? But so does it have to be because now here's here's what and this is where I kind of feel like Gabe's damned if he does damned if he doesn't because people are going to say well too little too late dude like you know you should have been doing this this should have happened when Segura trotted down the line with the McCutcheon injury fair and you know where we were at on that at the time we both said yeah this is major league baseball guys aren't going to hightail it out of the box every single time I don't get offended by like that uh, offended by that type of thing like other people do but now here we are in this situation and, and I have a theory on it I think that each situation is unique, and I don't think it's wrong of Gabe Kapler to bench Cesar Hernandez in this scenario. And I I think it has something to do with the symbolic significance of yesterday's game. You have this absolutely unforgivable loss on Friday night to the Marlins, this team that you struggled with all year. And everybody that that wants to pick apart the Philly said, you know, wait until they go to Miami. They're going to lose two out of three. It's just what they do. And then they have this this terrible loss on Friday night. They kind of get it back on Saturday, and they have a chance to win on Sunday, win the series, end the road trip 4-1, and one, and all would be well. And here we are in the sixth inning of a tie game in which there's absolutely no offense, and it looks like that they may, they could potentially lose this game. And he does it in that spot. This isn't an infield pop-up in a 2-0 in a game or in the second inning. It's a tie game. It's one of the most important games to date. It's embarrassing if you lose it, and he walks down the first baseline five feet in front of it. That's when he gets going. It's a horrible look, and I think if Gabe Kapler was being honest, he'd probably tell you, how many times can I stick my neck out for you guys and stick my neck out for you in the media, and then this is what you're going to do? Well, I yeah. would have blown my stack yesterday if I were him. Yeah, and I, and I think that you're spot on with this. I, I, I don't necessarily think, though, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because I'll tell you, other with the exception of – the fact that there there seemed to be a miscommunication, and that's kind of turning into another story right now because it looks bad for the Phillies. But if it would have just been Gabe, um, Gabe saying, yes, yeah, Cesar, you're out of the lineup because enough's enough. Like, 
I went as far as I could. I, I went out on that plank, you know, and jumped off the side of the boat for this team countless times with, with you know, lack of hustle plays. I, I'm just not doing it anymore. And if you got to be the guy that I'm making an example of, then so be it. And, and if that happens... I think that's fine. I think that's a positive. I think, yeah, I mean, you'll have your people who say, oh, you should have done this before. Blah, blah. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that it's being done now. It's being rectified. And this is, this is going to tr- hopefully, you hope, prevent it from happening again for the rest of the season. So I think that the only way it would have been a real negative <laughs> would have been if he didn't do anything except that there was a complete lack of communication or lack of uh, breakdown in the understanding because of the translator. And the bottom line is, is it's just, a like we said, it's a bad look. I, I have to say this. I, I know there were some people yesterday, and I was I was kind of just taking the pulse and seeing where people were at, and it was like, see, these players don't respect Gabe. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think that that was an act of defiance by Cesar Hernandez or a lack of respect no. towards total, the manager because he has lack an of obligation awareness. to himself. He has an obligation to the other 24 guys in that locker room. Yeah. And he has a, a little bit of an obligation to his manager too, I suppose. Him coming out of the box like that, you just said it. It's a lack of situational awareness. I don't think it was anything that was done with malice, you know, or, you know, like I said, it's not an act of defiance. It, you, I'll say it for you because you don't want to be the one to say it because you have to go down to that locker room and, and deal with these guys in the clubhouse. Cesar Hernandez is an airhead. He's an airhead. Yeah. When it comes yeah, to baseball. That's, that's, that's kind of fair. Right? I, I mean, he, he, I think he's a nice guy. I don't right. think that, he's, that he has that type of – I don't think it's in his DNA to say, you know what? I'm going to show up my manager or I'm going to – I think that he knew it too. I think he got back into the dugout and he, he genuinely was like, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, whoops. It's, 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 <laughs> you a, it's a complete – he's a complete – he's an airhead. Yeah. And that's it. And that's all there is to it. And, I mean, you know, when you look at a guy if, – if you had a, a, an uber-talented player who was an airhead, would it frustrate you? Yes. But it wouldn't, it wouldn't wear on you like it wears on you with Cesar Hernandez. Cesar Hernandez is an average fielder. And a slightly above average hitter um, who has way too many base running mistakes and foolish mistakes of lack of hustle or whatever. And so because when he, because he's just a guy in your lineup, it bothers you more. And I think that that's what really kind of eats. Look, and the other thing is, Bob, is if the Phillies were 20 games over 500 right now, yeah, this is probably not even a conversation. Well, I'm glad you said that because it's a conversation down in Atlanta. And a lot of people have been quick to tell me, well, Brian Snicker, you know, Ronald Cunha, he, he dogged it and, and they benched him. And I said, well, he also has the luxury of managing a team right now that has a nine-game, ten-game lead yeah. in a playoff race. Whereas the Phillies have to maximize every last bit of talent they have because they're so devoid of it. And by the way, I mean – Look at that bench. And this is a little bit with what we talked about ahead of the show. We were saying, you know, you might want to take Cesar Hernandez out of the game, but you go, this is a a very important game to the to the grand scheme of our season. And, oh, by the way, I have Sean Rodriguez on the bench. I have Andrew Knapp on the bench. I mean, I have Brad Miller playing right now, meaningful innings and getting meaningful at-bats. So I just think it's a lot harder – in this type of situation for the manager to say, now I'm going to make my point. So, personally, I, I don't know that he needed to be removed from the game yesterday. If, if somebody out there or you wanted him out of the game while it happened, then fine. So be it. No argument against it. But, my God, when you look at this bench and the way that the bench is constructed and how razor-thin they are, uh, I, I, I got to say, like, if at the end of this people want Gabe Kapler gone, 
Uh, that's fine because I don't know that he's done enough to really say, like, I belong here or I've made this team uh, noticeably better. I, I just think that when you look at the pieces that have been given to him, especially the peripheral pieces, not just the core talent, but I'm talking to the bench pieces, the the just overhaul of the bullpen on the fly, this rotation, which flat out stinks behind Aaron Nola. What, my, what I keep coming back to is, what do you want from the guy? And, and maybe that's not a, a great defense of him, but I just, I mean, my God. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not wrong in certain aspects of it, but really when it comes down to it, who, who is responsible for the play of the team on the field? And it, I, right or wrong, it's the manager. Right. Right or wrong. Because I'll tell you, because there's something else I wanted to get into tonight, Bob, and, and, and maybe this is a neat little transition. Because I, look at, I looked at the game Saturday, for example, that they win in, in, against the Marlins in Miami. And Zach Eflin pitched a pretty good game. Unexpectedly. I mean, he's been terrible lately, right? Both as a starter and a reliever. Guy's not been good, and we've killed him on this show. Um, but I thought on I thought on uh Saturday he pitched a pretty good game. And then after the game, he's being interviewed, and he's like, you know what? I, I just stopped doing what you know what they wanted, what me, they to wanted do, me to do. And I did what I felt what I should do, and I felt better about it. And it, to me, it's it's almost like you, you can't have that be the case. And I blame Chris Young more than I blame Gabe Kapler for that because that's on the pitching coach. And that the whole story is, you know, the pitching coach, he's, he's one of the guys who, who preaches, you know, fastballs up in the zone and da, da, da. And that's how these guys who don't throw that fastball up have been getting killed. I mean, he's a Zach Eflin got to the major leagues as a single sinker ball pitcher. I, I will say this for a time, there was a period this season, though, where. Zach Eflin had success doing that. He was elevating the ball more. He was generating more swings and misses. There was less contact. But then it obviously stopped working. Within those comments, there was a point made, though, where, oh, you know, I talked to Chris Young and and see why I was good about it, and we all got on the same page, and we felt good about the game plan. But, yeah, I I do find that to be somewhat – I won't even say interesting. I'll say alarming. (laughs) The pitcher said, you know, I don't like the game plan that's being given to me. I know what my strengths are. I I need to be able to utilize them. Now, credit to the Phillies if they were truly receptive of that. But I just, I really don't know. And it's it's interesting to me. I think there's a time and place for it. And I think Zach said as much in that interview. He says it's not that we're going to get away from that entirely. But he said, I felt stronger, you know, when he throws the sinker and generates that early contact, he feels more comfortable. He feels like he's, he's physically more confident, more, you know, he has more strength out on the mound. I, I don't know, man. Well, it's- look, you, you coach high school kids, okay? Throwing a fastball up is a different arm slot than throwing a sinker to go for the ball to yeah. go down, correct? Yeah, the sinker is more under control. Okay, it's much more under control, okay? So maybe... Just for Zach, just for using Zach Eflin as a as a case study, maybe throwing that pitch up, coming out of a different arm slot, physically doesn't work for him. It just doesn't. It wears him down. It gets his body feeling wrong. Maybe that's where when Gabe's saying his body feels heavy, and we don't know what the hell it means when he says his body feels heavy. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's releasing the ball from a certain angle doesn't really make him comfortable but throwing that sinker more regularly not <clears throat> not to say you can't throw fastball up but more regularly throwing the sinker is is more physically con- controls his body controls his delivery controls a lot of things and maybe that just works for Zach Eflin individually or if you want to want to hear the skeptical view of this 
Go ahead. He was the guy that happened to be on the mound pitching against a team that's 29th or 30th in almost every major offensive category. And that team had scored 13 runs over six games prior to busting out for 19 on Friday. And they simply just regressed to the mean. And Zach Eflin was meh. And well, he very well may be meh in his next start. True. And we'll find that like, out. Like, show me, you know? Yeah. We'll, but the we'll one thing that. that's intriguing about him is that he has both last season and this season, shown the capability of stringing together five or six starts where he can be a very effective starting pitcher. And if he can harness that here over the remaining five weeks of the season, the Phillies' path to the playoffs becomes infinitely more possible in my mind. So whatever it's going to be that that he's confident and comfortable with, then I think that is where the Phillies should go with him at this point. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And this is what we've been saying all along, that a lot of things in baseball that is kind of just lost on, I think just on fans in general, um, but even people, some people who talk about it, is the fact that it's very, even though it's a team game, there's a lot of the things that are very individualized. And when you look at pitchers, especially, they all have to be treated differently in in, in variety of different ways so we look at you look at Eflin he gets that start against the Marlins goes back to what he was doing before like you said bad team okay great his next start's going to be against the Mets not a great hitting team not a great hitting team I mean, they're a good team not a great hitting team they win mostly because of pitching okay uh, not a great hitting team then he gets a start against the Reds who are kind of depleted from what they were okay and then it gets to Atlanta so he gets three starts against sub, sub, you know, teams that don't have great lineups, and maybe that gets him going to the point where you need him to be. So uh, you know, the, question I, uh, the, the, the great question I wish I was the fly on the wall in the clubhouse for is, was this something that Eflin just said, look, I know my, my major league career is on the line here. I need to. I, I need can to bring tell this up. you um, his his previous start against the Padres in that Saturday night game that they lost. He had expressed what I would what I would call or term uh, some frustration with the game plan. He didn't come out and directly say like, "Hey, listen, um, I'm going one way. The coaching staff's going another way." But he definitely talked about how he was trying to build back his strength after coming back out of the bullpen. He felt that maybe the game plan wasn't uh, necessarily conducive to it. So there was. I, let me put it to you this way. I wasn't very surprised that, that the game plan was altered in this, this following start. And to that end, I was also not surprised that Nick Pavena was set back down to the minor leagues. I, I just want to touch on this real quick. I don't need it to be a focal point of the show, but I had tweeted out after that news became official, and Gabe had said that you know he has some accountability issues and things that he needs to kind of maybe grow up about a, a little bit. I will only say that I was not surprised by that decision. I Nick Pavetta strikes me, and, and I guess I'll, I'll get a little hot takey here for you. I think that Nick Pavetta has a much higher opinion of himself as a major league pitcher than anyone else who watches him does. Um, and, and I think that that clouds his ability to uh, maybe take coaching points into consideration. Um, and I think that you see some of that immaturity out on the mound when things don't go right, things don't go well. He has a very hard time kind of bearing down and pitching out of situations. And uh, that's something that that's been, I think, critical in his inability to really take that step that a lot of people thought, us included, thought that he could possibly take this season. Million dollar arm, 10 cent head. Yeah.
We'll yeah. get we'll talk more about the Phillies. Uh, look back at that Marlins series. Talk a little bit about Michael Franco. Today's his birthday. And Happy birthday, oh, Michael Franco. You're going back down to AAA. Oh, sorry, Michael Franco. We'll talk about that, too, after the break. If you want to chime in on the phone, 888-728-9941. Here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast on 610 ESPN Radio. Every day, the men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. And we're back on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. Here on 610 ESPN Radio, Anthony Sanfilippo, Bob Wankel. And Bob, today, another thing that happened today is Michael Franco, who came up over the weekend while Bryce Harper uh, was on paternity leave. Uh, and we'll have to talk about Bryce and, and baby crew. Baby crew. Crew Harper. Uh, but he's back. Are we, do we really have to talk about that? It's a great name. No, it's, nice. it's, nice it's a great name. It's a great name. I think it's a yeah, great it name. It is a nice name. I think it's a great name. I think, yeah. And I'm look, I'm more of a traditionalist. You come from an Italian family, right? You name people after people you, grew, you that were in your family, right? It's a you tr- names are traditional. This is certainly not a traditional name, but you you, you can just kind of picture Crew Harper, yeah, twenty twenty two years from now, like being a stud ball player, right? It's just an awesome name, Cruz Crew, out in the out in the uh, in the outfield, right? I mean, it's good, just good stuff. Anyway. <laughs> Franco Franco was called back up from AAA was uh on the on the roster for the Marlins series went 2 for 6 got one start uh came into the game um uh on Friday night in the midst of that whole disaster uh pinch hit got a pinch hit on Saturday and then Sunday was I think 0 for 3 um and uh and then Bryce comes back and Today on Franco's birthday, the Phillies tweet out, happy birthday, Michael Franco. An hour later, they tweet out he's been sent back down to AAA. Meanwhile, Sean Rodriguez <laughs> is still employed. Um, Bob, can you? is there any way to really ex- – and look, I, I don't want to sit here and make you think Michael Franco is some really good player who, oh, the Phillies are just screwing him over. He stinks. He's, he's not been he good. He stinks. He's not been good. But he's got to be better – than Sean Rodriguez, no. I mean, even even in two pinch hitting, he got two pinch hits this weekend, and the two times he came off the bench, that's more than Sean Rodriguez has done in a month. Yeah, I guess I'll give you the the manager's take on it. He said if you look at three year samples of what each of these guys do against left handed pitching, that Sean Rodriguez is the better option. Also, the versatility. Whatever. I, I look at what how Sean Rodriguez has hit this season, both recently and over the scope of this entire year, and his his existence on a major league roster is 
I, I would say almost indefensible. Uh, you know, so I agree there. If anybody that says give me Mike Alfranco over Sean Rodriguez, fine. I think one of the things that the Phillies are taking into consideration here is the rosters expand on September 1st. If you send down Brad Miller, you're going to have to DFA him. You might not get him back. Some people would say, that's fine. <laughs> Same thing goes with Sean Rodriguez. You might not get him back. So from a procedural standpoint, you option Franco back down for this week. You'll see him on September 1st. No big deal. That's the, that, to me, is more of the reason, more so than the versatility and the ability to hit right-handed pitching. It's just the easier thing to do for when rosters expand. Okay, so there's three points, and I am now going to go through all three and debunk the Phillies. Not debunk Bob Blankel because you're just offering their thing, offering their take on it. I'm going to debunk all three, but go ahead if you want to, if you want to say something first. And before first. you do that, and, and I invite you to, let me just say this. Of major league players with 350 plate appearances, at least 350 plate appearances this season, Mike Franco has the 20th worst OPS of all of them. He has the fourth worst weighted runs created plus. Hello, analytics. He also has the sixth worst weighted on base average. He, from the measures that teams like the Astros, teams like the Phillies, teams like the Cubs take into consideration, has been one of the least productive hitters in baseball this season. So for the people out there that are pounding their fists over how Mike Alfranco is getting a bad deal, we've gone through three seasons of this. And I know he put together an okay year last season. I think he finished with like a 780 OPS. He led the team in hitting. <laughs> That's fine. But two years ago, he was abysmal, yeah. 690 OPS. He's right back there this season. He has not materialized the way that they wanted him to. He's not in the long-term plans of this organization. So who cares? Is Sean Rodriguez in the long-term plans of this team? I, I mean, that's so. This is for another five weeks. But, yes. that's, but that's what I'm saying. This is what I. So okay. All right. Let me break them down this way. First of all, you want to you want to if the Phillies want to look at and say over the last three years, Rodriguez has been better than Franco. Okay, but Sean Rodriguez is what 35 years old now, right? At some point. You can't write when you fall off. The, yeah, yeah, you yeah. just you fall off. I, it doesn't matter what your statistics say, what the back of your baseball card is. At that, at some point, you're no longer an effective hitter, and that's why you get to the end of your career. Okay, so that to me is is answer number one. Number two, versatility. Okay, here's another thing. You don't want to you don't want to risk not having him come be there for you if you DFA him and come back. Don't you have other guys who are versatile that are just you know that you can. Again, in September, who are probably not going to play, but if you need them in a pinch, could jump around and play multiple positions. You do. So if you go through five games without that versatility guy on your roster, I mean, Scott Kingery can play six positions, for God's sake. You know? I mean, in all honesty, Cesar Hernandez has played second base, shortstop, third base, and center field in Major League Baseball in his career. So, I mean, maybe he doesn't do that now, but in a pinch, if you needed that versatility, he certainly could. So, really, if, if versatility to me, I think, I think it's a horrible, horrible excuse. As a matter of fact, if you want to be versatile, be versatile in the sense that maybe he's recognized that you made the mistake the first time. Don't make it a second time. Like, have a versatility and opinion. Don't just stick by a a, a, a a bad a bad decision. And what was the last point you just the third point you just made prior? Uh, uh, oh, um, and that, that um, uh, five more days. That he's Franco's going to be back in five days. It's no big deal. Each of these games matter. Matters. Oh, yeah. They're of the utmost importance. Each of these games yeah, I, matters. I agree with that. And so, therefore, to sit there and justify having a guy who's one for twenty 
in in this I think it's since July 27th I think it is if it goes back that far he's one for 20 and serves no purpose for you over a guy who maybe who gave you two pinch hits this past weekend after being recalled and has has some pop that if you need potentially a home run off the bench he has the ability to give it to you how does this how is there any justification this is a Matt Clentac failure of the highest order. All right, so two points here. Uh, of all the things that I defend Gabe Kapler for, when it, he talks about Sean Rodriguez's value and three-year samples and what he brings to the table, veteran leadership. First of all, I got to say, I just, I've only been down there probably, what, 30 times since, since we started going down. I, I haven't necessarily seen that. Like, Gabe paints this picture like he's a veteran leader. He's, he helps. He's a, a glue guy in the clubhouse. I, I don't. I gotta be honest with you. I don't see that, and I, I've talked to other reporters down there who who have also questioned that that concept. Um, I, my thing is this: I, I don't understand why he's here. I pin that more, and I know that there's like this take out here that Gabe is just protecting his buddy, and and maybe that's not Gabe's decision. Maybe that there's something to that. I would be stunned if Gabe Kapler, frankly, has that much say it's in the situation. It's not his decision. I mean, I don't think it was Gabe Kapler's decision to have his his hitting coach replaced with Charlie Manuel. No. So if he's not really able to have say over his staff, do you think he has say over who's on the roster? No. No, to me, he doesn't. So I don't know necessarily put that on him, and I'm glad you said what you said. Look at this bench, and people are going crazy over Andrew Knapp. And listen, I understand that Andrew Knapp cannot hit. He's been one of the least productive hitters in baseball at all season. I believe that uh, the combination of Knapp and Rodriguez are nine for their last 50 uh, pinch hit opportunities. So, I mean, you're not getting what you need out of those two guys, and it's only two extra base hits, I believe, I've read somewhere today as well. That said, like, Andrew Knapp's your backup catcher. Sean Rodriguez is taking important at-bats for you in the middle of the game. Brad Miller, who who was really good when he first came up here, the bamboo plant, that whole thing was really cute, but he hasn't done anything in over a month now. You just look at how this bench is constructed, and I think there are two major failings. The Phillies won't win the wild card, that second wild card spot, for two reasons. Number one, they went out and got Corey Dickerson. That's great. Dickerson's kind of given them a lift here the last few games, and, and he was hot when he first got going with the Phillies. Fine. But they didn't go out and get a capable right-handed bat which was huge and something that they were clearly missing. They had all of these lefties, but they didn't offset it with a a functional right-handed hitter. And number two, I think that in hindsight, it would have been really nice if the GM would have gone out and made a play for another competent starting pitcher. Maybe it didn't have to be Marcus Stroman, although that would look pretty nice right now, but they should have gone out and done something more than Drew Smiley and Jason Vargas. And also I'm aware that Jason Vargas has been totally fine with the Phillies, but Drew Smiley is, you know, I mean, yeah, not very good. <laughs> well, you look at, it's funny. You look at backup catchers in baseball and I look at a guy the Phillies had in spring training a few years ago and let him go. Um, who's been a backup catcher for his entire career. Um, and you look at he's played against the Phillies this weekend. He's been really hitting very well. Brian Holiday for the Marlins. All right, he's hitting 292, 370 on base, 819 uh, OPS. He's only got 101 plate appearances. It's not like he's, you know, Alfaro's the catcher there. And this guy just is a veteran backup. There are guys like this that you could find that are that would have been better than Andrew Knapp. 
And again, I think it's a situation where they really like Andrew Knapp as a person. Oh, I think they love him in the yeah, clubhouse. They love I think him in the that clubhouse. A lot of prominent players on the team yeah. really like him, and he's by all accounts a great guy and all that stuff. But I, they're, <laughs> I think they're putting that ahead of productivity. And when you talk about Sean Rodriguez's influence, I, I tell you, I watch I watch almost every game on TV, and and the cameras catch the dugout so many times, and there's so many things, little things that if you're looking for them, you can see. And I look in that dugout, and every time that camera's showing the dugout, I see Jay Bruce talking to people. I see Andrew McCutcheon talking to people, like really kind of getting into in-depth conversation. And you can tell it's baseball discussion. It's not just some BS conversation, right? You can tell that there's some hardcore baseball stuff. Sean Rodriguez is usually just sitting in the freaking back on the, on the back bench. He's not getting engaged with that stuff. Now, I don't know. Does that mean that he's that he's not a good leader? I can't say that that's enough, but I but you would think that if you're a veteran player and you want to talk to a younger guy or or an impressionable player um, about something about the way they're playing, whatever, that you would take the approach of Bruce and McCutcheon and not the approach of yeah. Rodriguez. And I'll just kind of back that up. I mean, listen, you don't know what happens in private. You don't know what conversations are, are being said at a restaurant or a bar after the game or maybe on the field during BP. I will just say this. In the context in which I've seen him operate down there, there's been nothing that's jumped out to me that says, wow, great leader, highly respected in the clubhouse, is a benefit to what we're trying to do here. I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm just telling you based on my own observations. And I will also say that I have seen with Jay Bruce and I've seen with a handful of other players things that I can point to and say, yeah, uh, wow, you know, you saw him walk by there and you saw that conversation. And just what I'm able to observe in the space in which I'm able to observe it, you see those things. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I think that there's value. I, you know, I say this in hockey all the time. I think that there is value in, in veteran leadership on your, on your roster in some capacity. Um, they don't always have to be the best players. They don't always have to be the, you know, the most well-paid players. And, and sometimes that kind of blurs the line when you're really looking at it. Um, but there is value in guys who've been there, who've been around, who've hung on in this league, who found a way to keep, you know, make a career. I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, the number, you know, a lot of players make it to the game, make it to major leagues. But how many of them have 10, 12, 15-year careers? That number's even smaller and smaller and smaller. And so when you look at a guy like like Bruce, who's been in the league now a decade, I think it's a decade, or McCutcheon, which is the same thing. Um, I mean, yes, they're both still productive players, but here they are, injured, not involved. I mean, it's easy to just kind of you know, be back in the clubhouse and not really be out. They're out there on the bench. They are. Yeah. They're engaged. They're part of this. And that means something. And to me, I think that carries a lot of weight. And, and you know, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't I just don't see it from Sean Rodriguez. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but I certainly see it from those guys. And so if you see it from them, you have to think that they're the ones that are the, the key figures and not anyone else. So uh, you know, I was optimistic after that Boston series. I said this is going to be the week. You know, they get the two on the road at Fenway. They're going to at least win the series in Miami. We're going to sit down on Monday night with the Phillies tied for the wild card, second wild card spot, maybe even contention to host that wild card game. And we're going to, we're going to be positive because they're going to have the Pirates in town. And here we go. They're about to make their move. 
And instead, it doesn't play out that way. And it doesn't play out that way because they had uh, two very different games between Friday and Sunday. But <laughs> both, I would say, almost equally infuriating, though I would say Friday nights was much more embarrassing uh, the way that it played out. Just a couple quick notes because I think that we've all rehashed the horror of this weekend uh, an adequate amount by this point. Just a couple quick notes, though, that I want to point out about Friday night's game specifically. 7 nothing lead. Early on, third inning, Vince Velasquez implodes after a pretty solid first two innings. Manager caught a little bit of flack for leaving Velasquez in. Two points. Number one, and you made this point on Twitter, it's hard to just, out of nowhere, get a guy up, get him into the game that quickly, uh, given the way that things had unfolded. Six pitches. Yeah, I mean, it was quick. It It was was bam, 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 bam. (laughs) You know, so not only is that difficult, but at some point, you, you know, he, he just got finished going, what, what, three and two-thirds innings with Drew Smiley earlier in the week. Right. You know, if you're going to make the postseason and call yourself a contender, you have to have guys go beyond the third, fourth inning and their starts, you know. And, and the way that Velasquez had pitched in the previous four or five starts leading up to that, there had to be some reasonable confidence that, though he's not going to get deep into the game, that whole he'll limit the damage here, get out of this inning, and give you five and keep you afloat, and maybe you'll have a two-three run lead. And then all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. So, again, not to be ultra-defensive of Gabe Kapler, but the Phillies had a 97.3% win probability when they took a 7-0 lead in the third inning of that game. And that's just based on the two teams that are playing, the talent that's on the field, and then the historical probability of teams blowing a game in that type of situation. It was a virtual lock that they were going to win that game. And Vince Velasquez let that thing get out of control. Nick Pavetta let that thing get out of control. It was embarrassing, man. Absolutely embarrassing. And then, you know, by the way, if you want to throw a little gambling spin on this, not only did they have the 97.3% win probability, DraftKings, I actually reached out to a guy at DraftKings Sportsbook and I said, what were the odds on the Phillies' live in-game bet when they were up 7-0 in the third inning? He said, minus 10,000. So you had to risk $10,000 on the Phillies at that point to win $100. I mean, that's how improbable that collapse was. Just and they of, just lost the cu- game by eight runs. Just out of curiosity. I, by eight. For, for, no, for no other reason than my own sick mind. Did you also ask him what the Marlins, what you would have had a bet on the Marlins? Uh, I didn't, but I will tell you that it probably came in somewhere between, and, and they'll hedge off on this just to, to eliminate their own liability, but it was probably like plus 4,000 okay. at that point. So 100 to win four, yeah. four grand. Okay, just curious. Yeah. Just curious. But no, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. I, I know. Everybody blames Gabe. Just, just to quickly rehash what happens. He gives up a couple of runs. He gives up uh, two runs and seven to two. Gabe Gets on the phone. They get Juan Nicasio warming up. Next batter, one pitch. Base hit, two-run score. Now it's 7-4. Now the other argument that we I had on Twitter was, well, why don't you go out and talk to, to, to Velasquez on the mound, use you know, whatever, give the reliever time. Fair enough. However, they had already used a mound visit uh, when he hit a batter. Earlier in the he hit Brian Anderson earlier in the inning. So they went out to talk to him because it was there was there was obvious there was something wrong with his fastball. He was not locating it properly. So they had already had the mound visit. So you say, okay, just get through, just get us out of this inning. Next batter was four pitches, five five pitches, home run, three run homer, ties the game seven seven. There's no time. 
There's no time to change pitchers. Yeah, so, escalate, escalate it quickly. For very sure. quickly. Yeah. But even then, Phillies come back and take a 9-7 lead. And you think, okay, all right, that's embarrassing. You gave up seven runs. But then to give up another 12 after you retook the lead and say, all right, we took your punch, Miami Marlins. The seven runs, that's enough. You, you don't score a lot as it is. You, we took your one punch. And then to give up all those runs more, that's where it went. That's and I know that Bryce Harper not being there this weekend was the reason that Scott Kingery was in the outfield and, and perhaps some of the defensive lapses that occurred at third base wouldn't have occurred had Kingery been there. I get all of that. But also, it should be said, as bad as Velasquez was, as bad as Pavetta was, how about having a third baseman just make any number of routine plays? Just make one of them, and it's probably a totally different there game. There's only one error credited in yeah, that game. I don't know what the score was what doing on that one. Yeah. Brad Miller had an error. Yeah, he had an interesting weekend, their score. Uh, uh, Brad Miller certainly was an error. Franco, I thought, had three errors. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he had he three. So and I thought Hoskins had an error. I literally yeah. thought there were can't five. Send, can't send down Mike L, though. I thought. <laughs> Mike L's going to lead the playoff push for this team. <laughs> I thought there were five errors. Phillies only had one. Friday was an absolute embarrassment because of who it occurred against. I mean, we talked about the, the White Sox, uh, the White Sox loss being bad. I mean, there have been other bad the Padres losses. losses. The Padres losses, losses being, being bad. bad. But that, boy, you know, the Phillies have now lost five consecutive series against losing teams. Yeah. Just win one game against the Marlins that you didn't win, or just. Maybe even lose two out of three to the Marlins this past weekend. Win one of the games where you got swept at home to the Marlins yeah. a couple months ago, or just pick up a game against the Padres or the White Sox, and they'd be leading the wild card right now. In spite of all of these issues, it's unbelievable. It's, it's incredible their it's, inability to accept the gifts bestowed upon them. That's it's it's a it's a fascinating thing. Well, we'll look ahead to this Pirates series. Uh, when we come back uh, and really look at the actually the whole week ahead because it's it's Pittsburgh and the Mets because this is a this is I mean we say this every week Bob but this is a big a big <laughs> week a big for week the yeah. this is a big week but we'll look ahead to this at these two series that are coming up uh, and uh, and we'll dive into anything else uh, that might uh, tickle our fancy regarding the Phillies you're listening to Crossed Up a Phillies podcast here on six ten ESPN Radio. They just told us right away that we're going to house you, we're going to feed you, and every single one of his medical bills is just all taken care of. They've saved my family from financial ruin. It allowed me and my wife both to focus on the most important thing, which was the health and well-being of our son. We have phenomenal research, outstanding clinical care, and the generosity of public, which allow us to treat patients regardless of what it takes. And that's what makes St. Jude so magical. At St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, families never receive a bill for treatment, travel, housing, or food, because the only thing a family should worry about is helping their child live. Doctors send us the toughest cases to be treated at St. Jude, and our patients come from all over the world. When we come here, they told me, don't worry, everything's been taken care of. We could never repay St. Jude for what they've given us. Because of you. Gracias a ti. Because, because of, of you. you. There is St. Jude. And we're back on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Anthony Sanfilippo, Bob Wankel. Bob, you know, we want to, we, I know you want to touch on one more thing from, uh, from the weekend series against the Marlins here in, in the final segment. But one thing I want to just real quick throw at you from this weekend. Boy, those uniforms were awful. Yeah. It's, it's, another, it's just another case of Major League Baseball, like, 
we want to be hip and try to be you know relevant and do something cool and they just totally miscalculated last years it. were were yeah, fine they were fine they were fun they were they were goofy colors but i mean yeah like i already kind of thought oh, that's kind of awkward looking but they were fun at least the the fans could get into it I couldn't tell who was playing. I watched the highlights of every game. I had no idea who which game I was watching. I also kind of like wanted to like, just watching baseball in general throughout the league. I wanted to like some of the jerseys. I, I go, did people seriously call you that? Yeah, is that, is that really what they call you? Because <laughs> if they do, man, that's, that's pretty. That's weird. pretty. That's yeah. pretty bad. Pretty yeah, bad. No, I, those uniforms were absolutely atrocious. I don't think that there was one person that were, well that went. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. I, I'm really enjoying this viewing experience. Uh, yeah. So one last thing I want to just touch on with this Marlins series. I know that the offense uh, certainly was the primary culprit of the Phillies not winning that game yesterday. I, I will say this: Aaron Nola has been fantastic, and he's been really good now since the beginning of July. It does bother me, though. You know, he gets the two-run lead in the sixth inning. Reese Hoskins hits his first home run since August 3rd. That should have provided a jolt for this team. And if you are a stud, and I, I believe that Aaron Nola is a stud, but in that moment yesterday, he has to find a way to go out there and shut it down. And, you know, he lost command a little bit, just missed, missed corners by just an inch or two. He started to get a little frustrated. Uh, Chris Young goes out, visits the mound, and then he comes out and he gives up two back-to-back hits. And just like that, boom, you're down 3-2. That was a game where it was pretty obvious the Phillies weren't going to score four or five runs yesterday. It just wasn't going to materialize that way. Nola had to, in that spot, find a way to be better than the moment, be better than his team's own shortcomings and just take care of business against a god-awful Marlins team and for him not to be able to do it in that inning I know he went seven innings I know he only allowed three earned runs I'm also very well aware of the fact that he was sensational against the Red Sox at Fenway in his previous start and I'm not it's I'm not trying to rip Aaron Nola but the the Phillies basically are in must-win situations every time he takes the mound and the offense was embarrassing yesterday but he's got to find a way there yeah I mean that it's hard to it's hard to criticize Nola it really is. Um, he he got away from his fastball. Yeah, he did yesterday. Uh, that a was lot a, of curveballs, a lot of changeups, a lot of changeups. And and I think he said after the game that his changeup was his. He felt like it was his best pitch. It was the one that he felt was working. But I I think that it got to a point where it became too predictable. And I, and if you want an honest assessment of it, I think that that's really what it was. I think the Marlins kind of sat there and said, "Well, geez, I mean, we we usually have to guess." And now he he's basically eliminated one third of our guesses against Aaron Nola. So we, it's now a 50-50, and it's going to be slow. <laughs> so it's either going to be straight and be a change up, or it's going to be you know have have a little bit of spin on it. And it's going to be a curveball. And and I think that really he in that especially in that sixth inning, I think that the Marlins hitters were aggressive and, and just took advantage of that. So that brings us to this week now, and the Phillies seemingly have another gift in front of them here with the Pirates coming to town. This Pittsburgh team has absolutely nothing to play for. Uh, They're not particularly good, especially offensively. This is an opportunity once again for the Phillies to beat up on an inferior opponent, something that they've not been able to do. Um, I guess my takeaway looking at this is that they have – Jason Vargas going tonight, and Vargas in four starts with the Phillies as a 3-9-1 ERA. He's probably been as good as you could possibly expect him to be. The Phillies have lost three of his four starts with that said. Now, 
this should be an advantageous matchup for them tonight. And, you know, if you look at what Pittsburgh specifically struggles with, it's a complete inability to hit left-handed pitching. And so just a couple things that you want to be aware of coming into this game. They're 29th in batting average against left-handed starters, or I'm sorry, any lefties at all this season. Uh, They're dead last in all of baseball in both OPS and slugging percentage against lefties. So that should shape up well for Vargas tonight. That being said, not only have they been unproductive against left-handed pitchers, they also don't win when they start. And so just a couple numbers that people should be aware of, and again, this will apply for tomorrow night as well. Uh, the Pirates are 12-22 and 22 this season when facing a left-handed starting pitcher. They're 6-12 and 12 against them on the road, and they're also 10-19 and 19 when an underdog facing a left-handed pitcher as they are tonight. So contextually, if you look at Vegas lines or New Jersey lines now that were legal in Jersey and PA as well, if you look at, at what these odds are, I would say that this should shape up to be a Phillies win. Phillies are also a pretty good home favorite this season. They're 34-20 and 20 in games in which they're favored, and they've been profitable to that regard. So tonight is a game that, on the heels of this two out of three that they just dropped to the Marlins, they've got to win this game tonight. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they do. We are at the point where enough's enough. Like, if you want to pretend that we're going to go through the month of September and and have this playoff race, then it's it's got to be right now. And this is a game where it really should shape up, especially after you, you get Harper back. You had this this complete, just absolutely terrible performance from the offense. Just from a contextual standpoint, tonight the stars should align for this team to have some success, especially going up against Pirate starter Joe Musgrove, who has a 7-7-1 ERA and four August starts. And shut down the Phillies when they were in Pittsburgh. Yeah, he did shut, He did manage to shut down the Phillies when they were in Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> so that's, No, but I, I think you're I think you're spot on. I think that your assessment, breaking it down the way you did, I, I do think I like the Phillies in, in this game. Um I, I always I always worry about games where you know the bullpen's going to be uh, used a lot, um, and Jason Vargas does not give you a lot of innings. You figure the bullpen's probably going to be on the hook for for three to three four innings tonight. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I always I always worry about those games because the Phillies bullpen is is been inconsistent as well. But and 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 not to mention the Phillies don't really have great lefties in the bullpen. Right? Yeah, I mean Jose Alvarez has I mean, been has been really good. He's been like, good, but he's he I like Alvarez better against right-handers righties, than yeah. I do against lefties. But um but that's what I'm saying. Like I so that's the thing I think that's where Pittsburgh struggles. So, I mean that's no secret why the Phillies lined up Vargas and Smiley back to back in this series as well. Um but I do. I do think this is a good one for the Phillies. If Phillies get it though, Bob, they do win this game. Let's say they win this game. Let's win tonight. Okay, great. All right, back on back on track. Back to being six games over 500. Six games over 500. I'm glad you mentioned that. And then what happens? This team cannot win when there are six games over 500. They're like playing pretty good baseball, like a 30 and 20 type of stretch over a 50 game sample when they're not six games over 500. But when they are, they are 0 and 9 when trying to attempt to get the seven games over 500 100. since 100. June 19th. It's absolutely unbelievable. Not as unbelievable as uh, the Arizona no, Diamondbacks that- stretch, though, which we were talking about before the show. Yeah. They've gone now, what, was it 57? 57 games where they, they don't go beyond two games over 500 or below two games under. Yeah. That's crazy. That is unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely crazy. But, yeah, so, and, and not only is that little 
you know, arbitrary trend out there as well. But they also have to face lefty Stephen Brault, who's been outstanding now over his last 11 starts at 2.62 ERA. And he'll present a tough matchup for the Phillies as well with Drew Smiley on the mound, who, after those first two starts, 13 innings, one earned run, his first two starts. And he has really struggled. If you recall, we did the, the podcast on Thursday night. We did two shows last week, and I was sitting there kind of complimenting Drew Smiley for only going three and two-thirds innings but not giving up eight runs, which he easily could have done. So we're going to need a little bit more from Drew Smiley this time around. Yeah, he's going from looking like Cliff Lee, those first two starts looking like Sarah Lee. (laughs) (laughs) And then you got Vinny Velo, total wild card. Uh, in the series finale, 6.05 start in that game on Wednesday night going up against Mitch Keller, who's 1-2 and two with a 7-2-4 ERA. I like Mitch Keller. Yeah. I do. He's a big-time prospect yeah. for them. I mean, he's not not yeah. uh, really had an opportunity to uh, to shine yet at the major league level, but he's a big-time prospect for the Pirates. And you never know what you're going to get out of Velasquez. You just don't. I mean, and, and that's... Yeah, a- he had been solid lately, but uh, that start on Friday night, obviously, notwithstanding. Now... Here's the other thing. There's this this idea out here that this weekend wasn't a complete disaster for the Phillies because when it was all said and done, they actually gained a half game in the wild card. They moved from two games out to one and a half games out. Now, here's the issue with this, though, as I see it. When you look at the wild card standings currently, you have Washington, who is running away with that top wild card now. They've built up four games of cushion over the Cubs, who hold the second wild card spot. Then you have the Phillies that are a half game back, Milwaukee two games back, the Mets two games back, and we'll obviously see the Mets in here at Citizens Bank Park later this week. And then you have teams like the Giants and and Arizona kind of hanging on four, four and a half games out respectively between those two teams. My issue is that we don't have five or six teams jockeying for two spots anymore. It really is starting to look like now that Washington is locked in one of these spots and barring a huge collapse. And I know the Phillies will get some head-to-head cracks at them as we move on here in September. But that being said, this really looks like a, a race right now between either the Cubs and or Cardinals coming out of the Central and then the Brewers, the Mets, and I guess the Phillies. So to me, it's a four-team race for that one last wild card spot. And it's very hard, and I think Milwaukee's a fraud. I do. Milwaukee doesn't really concern me in the grand scheme of things. But I have serious concerns about the Phillies' ability to outlast the Mets, outlast the Cubs and or Cardinals. And this is going to be very difficult. And that's why they have to get these they have to have a four and two, five and one homestand here. Yeah, and that's what and that's what it's it's good that you brought this up, Bob, because you know, everybody wants to say, well, they picked up a half game in this in the wild card standings, even though they lost two out of three. Yeah, but it's it's a great point. If the the Nationals swept, so the Nationals by sweeping and the Phillies only winning one game, picked up two games on the Phillies. So the Phillies are now what, five and a half behind the Nationals when they went into that series. You know, only three and a half behind the Nationals. And you thought, okay, they have a five-game series against the Nationals in September. You know, if you can whittle that down to maybe two and then going into that series, you you have a shot, right? But now you're five and a half behind them. That's going to be a real tough thing. So they're not even on the ra- – so the Phillies no longer are chasing teams in their own division. They're chasing teams in another division. And in one of those divisions, Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, who you say are, are fraud, fine – but they're all kind of bunched up together, and they all have to play each other. Yeah. And so when so that, there's going to be losses, but there's, there's also, also going to be, be wins. wins. Yeah. Right, so it's harder to kind of you know, navigate that path. I'll tell you what, too. If you look at the Philly September schedule, starting with the, Mets, uh, the finale of the Mets series on, on Sunday, they play 10 games at home during the month of September, but it's four with the Braves, 
two with the Red Sox, one with the Mets, and then three with the Marlins. And none of that sounds good. You either have an elite opponent coming in or you have a team like the Marlins those last three games of the series or, or those last three games of the season that you can't seem to figure out. And then you got to go to Atlanta for three. You're on the road uh, at Washington for five games <laughs> leading up to that final series of the season against the Marlins. You have to go to Cleveland, who's obviously a quality opponent. The only good spin or the good news spin that I can put on this is these teams are good. Good teams seem to not really be an issue for the Phillies. Yeah, so the maybe Phil- it's good that they're not dumpster diving in the month of September. Yeah, I guess. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. It's very hard after what you saw, and I know it was 5-0 and against the Cubs and Red Sox, but to go 2-4 and against the Padres and the Marlins over the last 10-plus days, it, it's just getting harder and harder, even though this, the standings aren't letting the Phillies get out of the picture. It's harder to see their path to actually reaching the postseason for the first time in eight years. I, I agree. But you know, you know who is, does not have a tough path to get to the postseason? That's the, the Redding fighting Phils, Bob, and they're coming up following us here on 610 ESPN. If Redding wins tonight, this is their final, final series of the season uh, at home, uh, against uh, the Bowie Bay Sox, Baltimore Orioles affiliate. If uh, if the Phillies win tonight, uh, and they get, an, I think they need one other team to lose. Uh, they clinch the division for the second half and will make the playoffs. Uh, where they will face playoffs, where they will face the uh, Trenton Thunder, who I believe are the Yankee affiliate. Uh, Connor Seabold on the hill for the Reading Fight and Phillies tonight. A 2017 draft pick for the Phillies. Actually, it's pitched well so far for them. So, uh, yeah, we want to stay tuned for that. Uh, and I guess um, you and I, you know, we talked about this. We did the one on Thursday. Yeah, we're going to come back nice this week. Yeah. yeah. I actually had someone say to me, said, you guys actually did a whole other hour? Other than your one hour? I said, yeah. yeah. Well, usually if you listen to our show, you know we go about 75 <laughs> to 90 minutes. And it's been hard for me. I got to be honest with you. Not not cursing in here has, has been difficult. So if you want that uncut, unedited action, <laughs> check, in, check out our podcast later in the week. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I want to thank Ryan Lennox for uh, producing our program once again. Uh, and I'm on my way down to University of Delaware, Bob. I got to drive to Delaware now. My daughter, who sat here uh, very quietly next to me all night for during this production, during this uh, during this show, I think she was taking Snapchat selfies of herself with the six ten banner behind her, right? So I think that was that's going to be good stuff. Check out her Instagram for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you're going to go home and uh, watch the game. Uh, I'm going to go home and watch the game. Yeah, yeah. Maybe have a beverage or two. Yeah, that sounds Take some like, of the edge off. I'm not like going to be down at the park tonight. I'll be down there the rest of this homestand. That's so that's awesome. I'll enjoy my night off while yeah, I can. That's right. You do that. Uh, for, so once again, he's Bob Wankel. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. Thanks for tuning in to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. We'll catch you later here on 610 ESPN Radio. <laughs>